Hi everyone. Good to see you all again or to hear you all again because we just uh, started the Green Living podcast as we do every Monday at 11 o'clock Eastern time, which is about five o'clock in most of Europe. And for today, we have a new kind of concept that we haven't tried before because we realized in our earlier broadcast that uh, there are so many books that we have read and are still reading that we get a lot of inspiration from and that is for Vanessa and me, but also uh, for a lot of the listeners. So we said today we will just focus on books, books that are about nature, about biophilic design, that are about green living, which is the central theme of this podcast, or that are about climate change, or uh, that are about any kind of nature or environmental issue that grabbed our attention or that motivated or inspired us and that we think is worthwhile to, to share with you. And it is not just that uh, Ness and I will be telling you what kind of books to read. We can easily fill a few hours or probably a few days if you see our combined uh, bookshelves. Uh, th those are like, like uh, we probably get to, to hundreds of books. I haven't seen your bookshelves, but I'm, I'm quite sure that all the books you refer to, you must have loads of them. Um, so uh, we will talk, but we would love to hear your suggestions as well, because we also want to be inspired. And uh, so you have to you have to think for your supper. You have to to bring in some of your own suggestions. So hi, Ness, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Alex. Really, really good. I hope you're well, too. Yeah, I'm well too. I look forward to um, to the kickoff. Uh, let's let's give you the kickoff to to <laughs> your favorite book or most inspiring book or at least one of them. Yeah, well, there's, there are lots. I am I am like a voracious reader. Um, I, I kind of I think that's why I can't see properly because I read so much. <laughs> um, I've I've got uh, probably yeah a couple of thousand books. Um, I used to have a bookshop years ago, uh, so sort of bookshop and art gallery. So I've sort of books are my my thing, and I, I just love the fact that you know they open our minds to so many things. And I think one of the I, things I love about um, kind of green living is that there are actually so many books on the market um, that people have written from all different walks of life, you know, everything from like psychology to cooking to garden design and also from, as I said, you know, from psychology, but also from, um, you know, architectural principles and, and everything else. Um, listen to this podcast will know that I always rabbit on about biophilic design and, and why we need patterns of nature in our lives. And and I think for me, the more we can incorporate um, biophilic design in our built environment, um, the more um, inspired we'll be uh, to to have a to have a greener life. Well, I mean, some of the books I was going to talk about was um, there's one called The Green Pharmacy, which has lots of herbal remedies and uh, for common diseases and things. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll go down that route. And then I thought, oh, no, maybe not. Then there's this other book, which is absolutely beautiful, called The Art of the Natural Home. Um, and that's a room by room guide, guide by Rebecca Sullivan. Um, and it, again, I think that's, that's one of the things that I love about all this is, is that the, it's beautifully produced, lovely photography. Um, you feel like you could touch the pages. Um, you know, it's got everything about no waste ice cubes. So all the fruit and veg that you can't use, you put them in an ice cube and then you have uh, fruit flavoured ice cream, uh, ice cube, um, water, iced water. Um, you know, loads and loads of things, things you can do in the bathroom for cleaning and things. Um, Another book I was going to talk about was The Modern Cottage Garden, which is about um, literally planting your garden up in, in a way that's sustainable to encourage um, pollinators and, and birds. But um, I thought I would actually just as a, as a kind of um, thing to kick it off with. And this is a book that I would recommend everybody buying. Um, it's called Biophilia, You, Nature, Home. And it's by Sally Coulthard. Uh, she's a journalist herself and a broadcaster. And I think this is probably the most beautifully produced book I have read for many a year. Um, it's got it's a fabulously written text. And I have to say, it's just such a delight to read. You feel like you're holding nature in your hands. Each page uh, brings with it something inspiring from from talking about how you use colour to light, to natural light, to sound, use how you use um, uh, bird song and and just you know incorporating better acoustics to choosing materials um natural materials temperature views spaces water i was actually fortunate enough to interview sally for the journal of biophilic design 
And I know firsthand that Sally is one of those, you know, really wonderful people who, you know, not only lives and breathes a way of life that's connected to and respects nature, but her knowledge is founded on research, experience and, and science. Um, she, she's actually got a farm. She's got a sheep farm up in Yorkshire. So she's actually, you know, living, living the life and walking the walk and talking the talk. And I have actually bought the book for lots of friends now and, uh, and colleagues. Um, and I think this, this should be on the shelves of every school in the country. Um, and I, I recommend people to, to get it. I mean, there's a, there's a bit in the book, which I've just bookmarked here. It's, it's about natural paint, uh, natural dyes. So there's all sort of like tips on how you can do that. So from you, you, can, you can use spinach for making, green, making a green, uh, green dye. Walnut. I've done this actually. I've used walnut for dyeing my hair once, but um, that was an interesting. That was an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> I'll stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe that's why I've gone white. Anyway, um, uh, onion as well, which makes this kind of pink colour, which is. I mean, it's a really interesting. I just love this. Cuttlefish obviously makes the blue. Well, how you get a hold of a cuttlefish, I don't know. Um, and that's probably probably endangered, so I'm not really sure about that one. But carrot tops can it produces this kind of like weird mustardy, yellowy colour. Um, and obviously beetroot produces this kind of like sort of beetroot colour, <laughs> as you would expect. Um, but it's great because you can you can tie dye stuff, and it's just it's just lovely. And you can obviously make use it in paper as well. You can kind of. Um, and another thing that she talks about, just this kind of um, just to give you an idea of, of like sort of what biophilic design is all about as well. It's about how, why we need curves in our life. So in nature, so it's about biomimicry, why we need sort of elements and patterns of nature. So like a curvy chair, because if you think about a shell that's got curves in it. And so there's but it's beautifully illustrated. I mean, it's really stunning. I wish I, I wish this was a video podcast because I would be sort of flicking through pages and, uh, and just showing people. But it's um. I don't know if people can hear, but I'm actually flicking the pages at the moment. And it's just fresh flowers. There's so much in it. So it's called, as a, to recap, Biophilia, You, Nature and Home. And it's ha a handbook for bringing the natural world into your life. So, um, yeah, so I think that would be my, my sort of number one go-to go -to book. I don't know about Wonderful. you, Alex. Have you the, got <laughs> it, it, it sounds a bit like she must love the, the Jugendstil uh, movement from <clears throat> around, what is it, around 1910 or something, uh, yes. where uh, the curves and nature were, were just the inspiration for everything they did in, in either the Art Deco or the Jugendstil. And uh, so this is not Sally, who is the woman who is active on uh, Instagram and Twitter, who is this uh, shepherd in yes. Yorkshire with those many children. Is that her? I think it might be her. Sally Coulthard, she is. Yeah, I don't uh, know the yeah. surname, but there's, there's, uh, she always has wonderful photography. She's always outside mm. with her dogs and her sheep. And, and I think she's yeah. got loads of children there. Oh, is she? Um, oh, I don't it, know about the children. Okay, well, it might, it might be her. It's also Yorkshire, so it's, it's, uh, it yeah. sounds a bit like her. So, uh, yeah. okay, I'll, I'll check that out. So I looked <clears throat> on my bookshelf, actually the picture that people see on, um, on, uh, on, the, on the image for the podcast and also that I use on Twitter nowadays since, since a couple of weeks to raise more attention for these podcasts. That is just... Uh, one of my bookshelves. I just quickly took a picture and then put some text on it. So I'm not sure if all of these are about environmental issues, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that about at least uh, three quarters of them must be all kinds of stuff about uh, climate change, etc. So I had piles to choose from. And the one I want to start with is Ramiz Nam. And that is, uh, he's an American, but he has an Egyptian name. He's born in Egypt. So Ramiz is R-A-M-E-E-Z -E or Z, whatever you pronounce that. And then his uh, family name is uh, N-A-A-M, which is actually the Dutch word for name. Uh, so, uh, so his name is name in a way. Um, the book is called The Infinite Resource. And why did I choose this book as a very first one? I read it when it came out, which was now about 10 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm not very sharp on the content anymore, but it influenced me in a way. Um, what he did in his book is um, he, he basically he hangs on two different thoughts. On the one hand, he says everything is happening on the planet is really terrible. There's climate change and all the rest of it. Uh, but he is also a born optimist. And he says that the infinite resource, the title of the book, that is our 
creativity, our innovation. And it is this innovation that got us into this mess because we created the, the steam machine and then, and then the combustion engine and everything else that created all this mess. But it has proven in the past that uh, normally it is also this, this uh, innovation capacity that we have as humans that gets us out of this mess. And the key question is, of course, is he right or not? He, there's ample examples of the past uh, to prove that that is the case. Um, but is it really the same thing this time? Because, I mean, it's a bit like somebody says that I will never die because every time that I got ill, I got better. But yeah, you and I know that nobody lives forever. Uh, so someday you will die. And at that moment, you prove that your, let's say, healthy, innovative uh, strengths of overcoming all kinds of diseases is someday going to fail. And is that going to happen to our planet or not? Well, he's the eternal optimist and he he believes uh, that we can. So the, the book is roughly in two. He starts with uh, climate change is, is a reality. Uh, fossil fuels are, are finite supply. Uh, there's problems that we have with with water, there's the, the acidification and the heating of the oceans, there's overpopulation, deforestation, and all the rest of it. And if you follow my tweets, uh, you get really uh, depressed about all the things that are that are going wrong on the planet. But then he says that uh, we have had all kinds of problems in the past, and and we we managed to get over it. And so we we should focus on innovation and he says our the best resources in the world isn't that we have oil and water and gold or that we have land or something but it is that we have this creativity to to get out of this so um the the book is full of all kinds of um of examples of what we could do to innovate uh think about carbon capture uh, capture and storage or think about the solar panels or the wind or or all kinds of other things but it's also about changing our system because the system that we now have, the economy that we have at the moment, is rewarding the uh, the pollution and not not cleaning up uh, the mess that you make. You just make a profit and you just pump all your CO2 in the atmosphere and somebody else pays the price for it. So we, we should change the system that is part of our innovative um, power and... And that is where I sometimes differ, I guess, with uh, with his thinking. I, I I would say that's not so much innovation. That is that is governance. So you you need an, a visionary and you could say innovative uh, governments uh, to to really change uh, how we get uh, things organized on the world. But it is still it's probably getting a little bit outdated because uh, both the problems as well as the solutions uh, have have uh, dramatically changed uh, in the past t uh, 10 years and I fear that I should say that the problems changed faster uh, than the solutions so let's hope that in the next decade we're gonna gonna turn that around but I still think it, it was a book that influenced me and that motivated me and that uh, so I I thought I'll mention that as the first one back to you Ness <laughs> That sounds like a really interesting one. I'm going to have to, um, I didn't know about it. So as a kind of like a grounding book, I know you said it's like everything might be a little bit outdated now, but what a, um, an inspirational book by the sound of it. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to get that one. So thank you for that. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention was, um, it's kind of a, a sort of classic book in uh, sort of biophilia land, if you want. Um, sort of everybody who works in biophilic design kind of knows about it. It's a book by Stephen Kellett. Um, and it's called Birthright, People and Nature in the Modern World. Um, I think it really this is an essential reach for anyone with an interest in biophilia and who wants to explore, um, you know, the why behind the concept. He basically draws on his own experience, um, as, again, with extensive research. And, and you can really feel this innate passion for the natural world and our connection to and interdependence on it. Um, birthright is an inspirational book. I mean, as you can probably gather, birthright is actually our nature is our, you know, our planet Earth is our birthright. And basically we're cocking it up. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've, as I said earlier, I've not hidden the fact that I hope 
that by encouraging people to see and embrace the benefits of biophilic design, they in turn will also embrace and respect nature. And it's exactly this book. Is it on the first page of the last chapter? Stephen wrote, The beneficial experience of nature can be facilitated in many ways. If people lack sufficient knowledge, love, and faith in the value of nature, they will not be motivated to embrace their experiential dependence on our natural world. I mean, really, I think unfortunately modern society has really lost sight of how much our health productivity and wholeness continue to rely on the quality of our connection to the natural world we've separated ourselves so much from nature and we've degraded it to the sort of dangerous um you know delusion really that we've become free from the constraints of the natural world that can aspire to transcend to transcend our biology um, and natural origins i think really it's um this book this whole book is is about the restoration of this, of our healthy relationship with the natural world, um, that we must, you know, not just in saving the planet, but really it's in our self-interest. It's like, and, and this, this is what this book's about. It's called, the subheading is People and Nature in the Modern World. And um, he talks about design, he talks about childhood, um, you know, sort of nature opportunity and access, um, you know, sort of quality and quantity that we need, um, you know, the direct experience, vicarious experience, um, emotional development, physical development, intellectual and moral development. It's you know it's not just um, you know it's not just putting plants in. This is a this is on a, a bigger picture. Why we need it fundamentally for our health, well-being, for us and the planet. And um, it's it's quite heavy going. I'm going to say it's not like it's not a book you can pick up and well. I mean, I, I, it's the kind of book that I pick up and read on the beach because I'm a bit like that. <laughs> um, but it's. <laughs> It's it's um, it does talk about spirituality as well, which I think is is also a thing. We talk about awe um, from from a psychology point of view. We talk about awe and why we need it, but I think awe also engenders and encourages that and inspires and sparks, if you want, um, spirituality. That that feeling within us, that kind of the thing that you can't put your finger on, but you feel. Um, it's like love. You can't you can't you don't know what you can't sort of touch it, sense it. You can, I mean, you can sense it, but you can't see it. You just feel it. And that's the same thing with our that feeling of awe when you get in nature and you just look at the beauty of it, you know, the light through the tree leaves and, and things. And um, it talks about dogs as well, it talks about pets, why we need animals. It's a, it's a brilliant book. As I said, it's heavy going. It's kind of lots of words. Um, but, um, yeah, I recommend that one. So that's called Birthright, uh, People and Nature in, in the Modern World. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds wonderful. And the fact that you read the book on the beach uh, proves that uh, the book has already influenced you, that you, that you are in nature. And yeah, I, I agree that I, I think actually when I think about young people, uh, we, we, we should bring in elements in our education system that young kids are spending more time in nature, that they, that they get connected again to nature because we... We are really losing that uh, that connection, and since we are part of nature, it is it's very unhealthy to be disconnected uh, from nature. So yeah, so so next one that that I have on my pile. But if 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 listeners want to chip in with their suggestions, uh, you're you're most welcome. Um, on on Twitter, I saw already some reactions coming in. Um, but um, it's the book uh, All We Can Save, and it came out. And before we go there, I see Evelyn. So let's let's first. Uh, hear from from Evelyn if she has a book suggestion. Hi, Evelyn. Good afternoon in Switzerland. Hi. Yeah, sorry, I was a bit slow. Um, I was just going to jump in here because you were mentioning kids, and um, there's this book I have on my shelves that's um, called Wild Child. It's by Patrick Barkham. Barkham. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's coming home to nature, and it it is about children and uh, children out in nature, and um, you know reconnecting with nature and all that. It's um, it's a good read. It's very interesting, and it goes well with what you just said. That's why I jumped in. Okay, perfect. So, what was the name again? Can you repeat? Wild child. Okay. Excellent. I don't know it. I so can put that's... it in the. I can put it in the chat. 
Oh yeah, excellent. Okay, that is, uh, that is good. I see you already typed in other things in the chat. I forgot to look at the chat this morning. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be an expensive one. Oh gosh, you're going to buy a lot of books. Okay, so don't don't buy all of them. Just buy them one by one. And um, and use Kindle, by the way. I'm reading way more on Kindle nowadays. And uh, um, do we pronounce that yeah. as Kindle or Kindle? Kindle, I guess. And um, uh, so that saves, uh, saves paper. Saves money too, by the way. Yeah. I know. I just sorted out like 900 books, so I don't really need to buy new ones now. Oh, wow. now but that's, that's but I'm, I have a list, and as you said, one by one. Yeah, Absolutely. perfect. I was okay. just going, I was just going to. Sorry, can I just add something there? Because you talk about wild child, and I've I've interviewed quite a lot of people that do like sort of nature stuff, um, work in biophilic design, or they're just like really proactive in it, and and they've started their lives as wild child, as sort of, or you know, they've been out in nature. So I kind of I don't know what the book's about, but it sounds like it is sort of coming home today. I, I mean, I don't know, but it, to to inspire that next generation to get them out into nature will inspire the next generation of people that will respect nature. So it sounds like a good read. So thanks, Evelyn. Well, I'll, um, I'm going to get that one. So that's for a start. So thank you. <laughs> sure. We won all. <laughs> that, that sounds really good. I'm, I'm showing on the Zoom right at this moment a book that uh, that that I wanted uh, to to mention now. And this is since I see that Charlie is listening. Charlie, we really need this this photo sharing uh, thing that I can just share the photos of the book covers that we are discussing. Um, so I hope uh, Colin is uh, is working on that. And um, uh, so it's, yeah, so all we can save. So this is uh, edited by Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and Catherine Wilkinson. Uh, I follow both of them on Twitter for years already. I'm sometimes in touch with uh, Catherine uh, Wilkinson. Uh, she is also, I think she's nowadays heading the Drawdown Project, or at least she's in, in, in the management team that is uh, that is leading that. And the Drawdown Project is... Um, what we can do with the present knowledge and the present technology and the present finances that we have to solve the climate change problem. This is a highly scientific project, but basically the conclusion is even if we don't develop any new kind of techniques or anything, we have all the knowledge and the money and the technology that we need to solve the climate crisis. So the only thing that is really lacking is political will and political leadership um, but 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 we we can do it with with all that with that we have. So so she is leading that. That's a fascinating material to read, which actually I don't have it on my book list for today. But that's a, a drawdown is a really good uh, book uh, to read. But this book that she uh, wrote together with Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, All We Can Save, is a fascinating book because it is a really fresh and new and insightful uh, resource for dealing with the climate crisis. It's a very, very activist kind of approach. It is. Um, it all comes from a feminist perspective. So they are the editors. They are not the writers. They are the editors because there's just dozens and dozens of women that have written on it. It's it's only only women that wrote on, on the book. Uh, it is full with uh, essays and poems and, and all kinds of, of inspiration. And I think it is the kind of book that you that you don't just read from beginning to the end. You can you can do that. Some people will probably. But for me, it is more uh, it is it's it's close to to my coffee table in the weekends. And sometimes I just grab the book and then then read one or two chapters in it. Um, and I find it really, really inspirational. So it's it's all kinds of stories that are in there. It's like, how do we get into this mess? What is what is really at stake? Um, how how do we deal with this uh, psychologically? And and what kind of what kind of solutions are there from at the individual level or in your in your community or at a, a national level? Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's full of these kind of inspirational, uh, creative uh, approaches. And, and I think it's, um, I think it's most, one of the most remarkable uh, climate change and environmental books that was published in, in, in the last few years. Uh, it's, it's also uh, uh, the writers are 
from an enormous diversity, uh, not from a gender perspective, because they're all women, but from any other perspective that you can think of, from, from where they are living, from their ethnical backgrounds, from their, uh, uh, let's, say, let's say, knowledge and experience backgrounds. Uh, and, and that makes it such a, such a wonderful and inspiring book. So, um, yeah, uh, All We Can Save, it's the title and uh, edited by Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and Catherine K. Wilkinson. And both are also really worthwhile to follow on Twitter. So next Excellent. one for you, Ness. Okay, thank you. Excellent. They, they sound really interesting. And I love the fact it's all, it's all you know, feminists or women's perspective as well. So it just adds another another flavor to it all, doesn't it, really? So thanks for that. Um my, my next one really is is again by Stephen Kellett, and and because I mentioned the other one, the sort of uh, <laughs> the one that's a bit heavy um, or heavy to read, this one is actually heavy to pick up. Um, this is called uh, Nature by Design: The Practice of Biophilic Design, and actually this is a kind of I suppose a practical kind of guide. It's, it's sort of aimed I suppose at architects, but um, it's really it's just really pleasant to read, and I think if you're interested in the built environment. And how we can make buildings and spaces and our cities and homes and and um, you know everything from you know secular to um, to, to civic buildings, um, how we can design better, how we can bring elements of nature into our everyday. Um, this is really really interesting. Um, I mean, it's even they talk about you know the sort of the dining areas, for instance, the renovated rectory dining area at Norwich Cathedral. It's it's. Um, it's 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 a landscape book. The one I've got is a, is a hardback copy, um, but it's heavily illustrated. Lots of colour photographs, quite a lot of text as well. Um, but it's really it just kind of I suppose it explains biophilic design visually, um, but how an architect or how an interior designer would would um, go to it. I mean, we talk about uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, so I don't know if any listeners have been to the Frank Lloyd Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright building. Falling water. It's high um, on my list. Is it? Yeah, I know. I've not been yet either. But Sally Augustine, my my business partner in America, the space doctors. She she goes there, um, and she she often talks about it. But from a psychology point of view, it's like the perfectly balanced, you know, in terms of visual clutter or visual visual um, complexity and stuff. But there's um he, he do, there's a the Johnson Wax office. So obviously the Johnson Wax. I'm not quite sure if that's if that's biophilic or if it's environmentally friendly. But either way, it's irrelevant. The building <laughs> um, has these, um, which is which is what Frank Lloyd Lloyd Wright designed. Um, it's really interesting. It's got several biophilic features um, that contribute to its positive effect. Um, there's a central interior space which has been likened to a savanna landscape. Um, with spreading tree canopy. And if you look at it, it does look a bit retro. It looks a bit sort of like sort of 30s thing <laughs> um, with these kind of like umbrella shapes inside sort of cir circles on the stick. But it kind of still works. There's like trees and things in there, plants in there. But um, it's as I said, it's heavily illustrated and it shows real life examples. And, and it's the design application from Japan, to Russia, America, Europe, railway stations, hospitals, um, and even shows how even classical architectural design elements, which is the thing that I'm always rabbiting on about as well, um, and how and their sort of their inclusion of nature forms um, could bring a simple inanimate object to a dynamic, lifelike entity. So the Romans did it, the Greeks did it. You know, we we just um, we, we're just catching on and doing it again, really. Um, I think, as I said, one of the strengths of the book is the imagery. Um, I don't know if anybody's listened, uh, has anybody's um, read the book? Anybody listening who's on the on the call at the moment um, has read um, has read this one, Nature by Design. Um, you know, but even flicking through it and reading the captions, you learn how the different elements of biophilic design have impact. Um, and obviously they're highlighted, especially with sort of contrasting photographs of featureless developments. And, um, you know, like with windowless offices and, and sort of all that kind of thing. And by the end of the book, you know, I think if you're not convinced of the benefits of biophilic design, I don't think you could have had your eyes open. <laughs> um, but it's, it's really it's a it's a it's a it's a great it's a great book. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's funny when you mentioned this, uh, this house over, over this waterfall that um, it, yeah. it brings back child memories. When I when I was young. We had this uh, children's encyclopedia, and in those days there weren't as many books as nowadays. There was one like every every kid had it, 
uh, because you got it as a present from your parents when you were like whatever eight or ten years old or so and there were no photos in it but there were there were drawings and it was clearly looking back now i don't have it anymore but looking back now it it must clearly have been a translation from an american book uh, for for young kids and since we didn't have that many books i must have gone through it like like dozens of times so i still remember a lot of pictures that were in there and um a lot of these pictures were typical American highlights, so to say, and they're they're kind of burned in my brain as kind of images of things that I that I have to see. And there's, there's for instance, this um, uh, sequoia tree that was cut out, and there's a car driving driving through it. It's it's an iconic image. You must know it. Yeah. There was this Frank Lloyd White House. Uh, there's also like uh, there was a picture of Monument Valley, uh, and all kinds of other things. And this. And then when I grew up in in the early seventies, the America was was like a dream. It was far ahead of us. These were, you know, those tough guys that had liberated us from 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 fascism. Uh, those were the days, and um, uh, and 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 we looked up to America as so anything American. When you were a kid, you know, that was the, the music came from there. Your 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 genes were produced there, whatever. Um, so that was like. A lot of these images are still in my head. So this this Frank Lloyd White House is is still I a lot of the other things I've seen already the, the Grand Canyon and 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 and, and the sequoia trees and whatever. So I I've I've been all there, but the Frank Lloyd White House is is in a part of the U.S. where you normally don't go so much as a tourist. So it's uh, I I have to find a reason to uh, to go there someday. So um, this was a long. Uh, going in a different direction, although I did discuss a book while saying this, so uh, but I claim my right for for uh, mentioning one more book, uh, which is uh, Naomi Klein's book. This changes everything. There's probably quite a few of you that have read it because it was like like a bestseller, but I still believe that even though she produced quite a few good books afterwards, I think uh, it it is still a really really good book. She she used to be. A climate change uh, skeptic in not in the sense that she was like like a brutal climate denier but she kind of ignored the message like that is for another group of people that are active in that field and 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 she was active on on on, on quite a few, quite a few quite a range actually of other issues that that Naomi Klein is uh, is uh, is speaking out on and Suddenly she got it and she realized that uh, this really changes everything. Climate change is, is going to be uh, the change that will, in, that, that will make such an incredible change in all aspects of human life on this planet in a way that we have never ever seen before. And, and she, she suddenly got it, how important this is. Not being a climate scientist, but she, she really read into it like everybody should do. And um, I, I remember the, the opening scene of the book, um, which is actually something I, I had uh, spoken about and, and written about uh, the same thing. So I, 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 I kind of liked it that she opened with the same example that I use sometimes in my speeches. But there, there was this um, uh, flight uh, that had to leave from uh, Washington, D.C. about uh, 10 years ago. And the plane couldn't take off. And why was it? Because the wheels of the plane had literally sunk into the melting tarmac because it was so hot. And that had never, ever happened before. And now the, the image is is impressive in many ways. I mean, first of all, because we've all been in a, in a plane, so you can you can kind of imagine this thing. But it's also that you suddenly notice that the the summum of let's say rich western life uh where we we live in planes and we fly back and forth and and uh naomi klein had her own elite wing card or whatever it was called some kind of frequent flyer card uh, but that that nobody is immune for the impacts of climate change and then the other thing is 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 obvious in 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 the parallels you can you can take from this example is of course that uh, planes are uh, an, uh, one of the most 
fitting examples of what you as an individual can do uh, to either stop or help in a negative sen sense uh, climate change by, by flying. I mean, the flying and eating meat are two of the main things where you can change your behavior, where it actually does make a difference, much more than taking shorter showers, as we, we discussed recently. So uh, what then happened? The people had to leave the plane, and then a few hours later, when things had cooled off a bit, they were just put in another plane, and they just, just took off. So there was none of them that took the lesson, like, this is really the limit. We, we can't even fly our planes anymore. And... By now, actually, this example is, is much more striking because you have in, in the heat waves in India now, there's actually one developing right now in all, the, in, in all of South Asia, so including Pakistan and India, etc. They're going to be caught in a horrible heat wave right as we speak. And there it, it sometimes gets so hot that just uh, the, the asphalt on the street is melting. There, there are scenes of uh, a man uh, being filmed running over that asphalt and actually losing his shoes on that extremely hot asphalt because the the, the, the mm. shoes just, just stick on it. So that is how our life is changing. So she starts with that. Uh, she speaks a lot about herself, her own uh, development into somebody that, that really gets, uh, gets aware of it. And then she looks much more, and that is the main thing of the book, of course. This was just the opening passage, but it, it's very much about... Uh, this this unchecked capitalism as a system that how we how we run our planet that that is uh, that is no longer should no longer be allowed to uh, to continue as it is now and so she's really criticizing the mechanisms of our society and criticizing our leaders in society that they don't really take action and I think that is it. Uh, that makes it so important uh, that that this book is is read by everybody. So she doesn't have like some kind of magic bullet that will change everything. So unlike let's say Rami's Nam that you that I mentioned in the beginning, who's always the optimist, you know, we'll just do we'll develop nanotechnology or whatever, we'll get out of this. Um, she recognizes the the extreme difficulty that we have because. Changing it means that those that have profited from the system and those are the people that are in power, that we are going to take away their sources of income. We're going to take away their toils. We, with toys, we, we're going to take away uh, the oil of the oil industry people. And of course, they are the ones that have the enormous political power. And that makes this such a terrible, difficult fight that we are in and we are not going fast enough and and we we are we are too slow and so far the scientists have been exactly right in what they predicted and from what they keep predicting everybody should be so so scared and should take action so that's basically that is her her story and i think this is from all of these books maybe this is the one you should should read more than any other one so yeah uh, back to you, Ness. Mm. Yeah. Um, I see, I see oh, I see uh, Sharon. Shall we first go to, to, cool, yeah. to Sharon? Yeah. Hi, Sharon. Nice you can join. All the way from Arizona. We went from Switzerland to Arizona. Hi. Good morning from Arizona, like Alex said. Um, I'll be short, but I just wanted to touch on what you said about the heat wave in India. Um, right about this time of year in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, I get this dread. <laughs> we are going to be 101, I believe, oh by Thursday, and we are talking April. And um, I also wanted to touch upon what Alex said about um, the planes not landing um, um, or the plane in Washington, D.C. We've had that same problem at Sky Harbor here in Phoenix when it's been 118, you know, when the planes cannot land. So, and we have not learned from it. <laughs> Sky Harbor is one of, is becoming one of the busiest uh, hubs uh, in the nation. But the book I wanted to mention is um, the Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo. Um, Mark is a poet and an author and went through a cancer journey and kind of incorporated that and came out on the other side and kind of incorporated that into a uh, walking meditation uh, in nature, if you will. 
it's kind of like a diary. You can just pick it up and go to the day that you are reading about, and he will have, you know, something uh, uplifting to say, and sometimes something depressing to say about, you know, the journey that he's been through. But then he always brings it back to nature and how we can overcome that depression. And where what I'm seeing is I direct a coalition, a youth coalition, and I'm seeing that our youth are sad. Our youth are having su suicidal ideations. Our youth are not getting out in nature. So I think that this could be, um, you know, a lesson for all of us is that we don't know how sad this is making some of our youth, you know, to see what they're seeing uh, every day in real time. But what I wanted to, the, the uh, opening of the book is, wisdom is a living stream, not an icon preserved in a museum. Only when we find the spring of wisdom in our own life can it flow to future generations. So he's taking really um, nature and kind of giving us a moving meditation. Um, it's a walking meditation. Sometimes you just want to go out and, you know, sit in nature or look at a tree or um, tree bathing, as we know, is very beneficial. But it's helped me because I don't have to read a lot. I mean, I've read the whole book several times, but it just sits on my coffee table. And if I'm having a bad day, I can really just pick one of these lessons and it always incorporates nature. It, it's always a walk in nature, looking at trees, uh, sitting on a park bench, uh, if you will. And it, it just um, reminds me to ground myself and to stay in the present. And there's always something to be hopeful about. That's, that's it. Thank you. That's really lovely, Sharon. Thanks so much for sharing that one. That sounds really lovely. And what a lovely um, sort of positive uh, experience that he's sharing. As you say, you know, if he's going through cancer, then he's obviously going through a terrible moments in his in his own life but being able to share those the sort of the i suppose the benefits of how nature is healing um provides yes. us time for reflection and uh and beauty i think um i i interviewed um uh dame laura lee who um is the uh, i think she's the ceo of uh maggie's cancer care centers and she was just talking about, I said, you know, what is it for you about, you know, these spaces that are designed with biophilic design and they're designed with nature. They've got trees and plants and, 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 and it's, it's actually that there's life. I think um, a friend of mine died recently with, 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 uh, with cancer and, and he used to spend, when he could get out, he spent his time in nature. He just, he was a very spiritual person, so he kind of believed that there was sort of energy and all that kind of thing in the natural world as well. But um, I think nature is, is life. Um, even in winter, there's life, you know, there's squirrels or whatever it is that are kind of going around trying to collect nuts and, and things. There's, there's, you know, there's snowfall, there's, there's, there's just, there's just life everywhere. And especially this time of year, I mean, over here in, in, uh, in, in Europe, spring has just gone completely crazy and it's lovely. It's so uplifting and life affirming. And, um, I mean, we spoke last week, um, on the podcast, Alex, didn't we, about, um, and it was quite, it was sort of depressing. It was kind of, it was sort of, um, there's a lot of things to talk about and, and there are lots of things that are going wrong in the world and, and obviously this whole climate um, issue and you just want to you want to get hold of people and just shake them and you think why aren't you listening why aren't you doing anything about it and I think um, to reconnect with nature and just to get outside in nature and just to remember how beautiful it is um, I think is is a really positive thing and I think I think maybe that's what we need to do maybe we need to take boris johnson and, and all the world leaders and just stick them in a forest somewhere with with a load of like bird song and um and sort of like lovely light and sunlight and say do you want to destroy this well you what are you going to do about it maybe that's what we need to do maybe we need to be an experiential kind of um activism maybe we need to do, maybe we need to kind of can we is it is it, is it illegal to uh to kidnap our leaders and put them in a forest i'm not sure but but sorry Jen, um, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. Uh, oh no vanessa what i wanted to say was you could have just done the whole book for me what you said i kind of wanted to say but i didn't oh. <laughs> i didn't have the eloquence that you just that you just oh. stated so oh, thank, thank you, you so much you should <laughs> you really said what i wanted to say and oh, uh, just one thing before i i hang up um, your pictures are lovely, Vanessa. Um, I love them, and they could have really illustrated this book. So um, oh, that's nice. 
So oh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Sharon. Can you be my friend? It's <laughs> <That's> lovely. <laughs> thank you. Um, I sort of, I suppose we go on to the, the next book um, that that I, that I uh, was going to talk about, really. And it's it's the thing that kind of kicked off this whole biophilic movement. And it's, it's I mean, and you might know this one. It's biophilic by um, Edward O. Wilson, who, who actually died, um, uh, I think, on Boxing Day last year so um but he's left behind a fantastic legacy um and people in america might know he's got a got a foundation out there where he, he takes children out into nature and it's kind of like a real um interactive proactive um kind of space for them to be really but um i think this really is a must-have on on any sort of designer architect or urban planners bookshelf shelf um and i think if you're interested in how we as humans connect with nature i think this is a really good start um, it was first published in 1984, um, and it's, this book is often quoted in the media um, and by designers trying to explain what biophilia is. Well, I mean, they used to, actually. I think people are moving away from it a little bit more because I think people are... It's quite dry, Again, it's, it's quite a dry book, um, but um, there are bits in it that, if you just sort of scan through it, um, will kind of raise your eyebrows. I think there's, the prologue is really interesting, um, and he talks about um, sort of biophilia. He said the object of the reflection about being out in nature can be summarised by a single word, biophilia, which I will be so bold as to define as the innate tendency to focus on life and lifelike processes. And then he explains, he said, I'm going to explain it briefly here, and then he develops the larger theme. But it's, it's more than just, um, it's more than just patterns of nature. It's more than just putting... Um, textures and sounds and plants in a building it's actually about our innate connection to nature and, and this book is about he talks about his um, studies in um, in I think it's in South America actually I can't remember my, my, my mind's um, f- flitting away from me um, but he studied ants and I think that's it it's because he was studying this community of ants and their whole life cycle and how they built their houses their houses I mean I suppose it is a house that they live in it's a home a dwelling um a, <laughs> a sort of blob blob with holes in it I don't know I don't know he would describe an ants ants thing but um he you know he's obviously a, um, an entomologist and and things so um but it's but it's really really interesting and um and I think this of the book's message is definitely an explanation on how dependent just literally how dependent we are on nature and the natural world um, and that this should be fed into the design process you know to ensure that we have a you know a thread of this actually into our in our interiors our homes our workplaces our urban planning particularly in our healthcare, um, our schools we're talking about young people here as well again you know and it's also a call for conservation um, it's a call to reconnect us with our uh, to our independent interdependence interdependence really and fascination of nature um, in order to recognise the profound change in our world um, and prevent obviously its further destruction and preserve what we can um, and really um, to ensure that life remains around us um, you know and, and it's a yeah it's it's won two Pulitzer prizes and um, yeah it's a really it's a really interesting book. Um, there's no pictures in it <laughs> just forewarn you um but it talks about the conservation ethic um sort of you know talking about natural products of plants and animals or a select group in a literal sense and all sorts of things um yeah lots of notes in the back as well so anyway um yeah i can i can i can go on about it but um mm-hmm. yeah just if you, if you get a chance even get it out of the library or something it's really interesting read yeah sounds <clears throat> sounds fascinating i don't know it um <clears throat> Sorry for that. I need to get my voice going on uh, on the early morning on the Monday. Um, so yeah, so I I've one more that I, I got piles more that I want to mention, but I, we we have to limit. We got only like ten more minutes or so because we we promised to each other we would stop at a full hour. Um, but um, there's this Canadian writer uh, J B McKinnon, and Mac is like M A C Kinnon. Um, his book um, is The Once and Future World. And I thought that was fascinating. So it it is, uh, he he stresses that uh, we live in what he calls a 10% world in which just a very small percentage of the actual wilderness of the world still exists. So there's less spaces that we actually can call wilderness. And even within those spaces that we call wilderness, 
um, it is not as wild uh, as as we thought um, as as it as it was in 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 the past. So uh, he claims rightly that most of us are absolutely unaware of the decline in our natural environment um, because what we consider as normal is constantly uh, evolving. So, uh, for for example. Um, uh, children that grew up in Detroit can declare that pollution is not an issue uh, and they will no longer anticipate uh, pure water and clean air or wild animals, etc. because they have never seen that in their lives. Or to put it in other words, when, when I grew up, our garden was full of butterflies. Mm. And the generation that now grows up will never ever see a butterfly in that area. They've just died out. There's just no butterfly. So there, the children that are now young, they they start their lives with another zero baseline to which they will measure the environmental degradation in their lifetimes. Um, and they so everybody sets a new bar for themselves. Maybe what I call lots of butterflies would maybe for my grandfather have been a very poor garden with not that many butterflies because he knew that there were many more and there were all kinds of other species around uh, that uh, that I uh, that I never experienced. So each generation sets this new bar, um, and then he goes on in his book. He when he describes the past, he 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 describes what what researchers know from the abundance of wildlife that that was around that are just just staggering numbers of the the fish in the ocean and all kinds of other animals that frankly even though i've been working on environment for 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 uh, i don't know how long i wasn't aware of how much we had already lost and then of course he's also uh, looking into the future and and uh, and that looks extremely bleak um and he is a, a strong advocate for uh, rewilding, uh, a movement that is that is really coming up. I think five or ten years ago, you didn't hear you didn't hear much about rewilding, and now it's it's more and more people are proclaiming it, and more and more governments are also introducing it. Some governments are uh, making a kind of, uh, well, sorry about you, Ness, but I think the British government should really, really do better in rewilding because mm -hmm. it's a government that speaks about rewilding, but at mm -hmm. the same time is destroying so much. Um, so that is, that is not a good example. But there are, I won't mention other countries, but <laughs> there are there are countries that really do better, that really give uh, that give areas back to nature, or take an example of the Netherlands, where we, we're just just awfully densely populated. But we, for instance, about a hundred eco ducts, so um, road crossings from one side of the highway to the other side, so that the animals can just just pass over. So connecting all kinds of ecosystems to maintain uh, the diversity and those kind of initiatives. So. I, I do see uh, I do see some 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 green shoots of 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 positive elements there, but basically worldwide we should do way more in in uh, in in giving land back to nature, and in practice, of course, on a global scale, we're doing the opposite. The speed at which we are destroying the most biodiverse habitats in the world uh, like like uh, the tropical rainforest is is just just mind-boggling how fast we are we are ruining this planet so his book is uh, is 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 really is is a wake up call to what's going on but it's it's also fascinating to learn about about what we have already lost, and I, I think that is a must-read uh, for everybody. It's a, it's a really good one. So we have only what is it? About five minutes left. Uh, the rest, the rest is for you, Ness. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, I mean that's such a fantastic book, um, you know, and I think it's one that should be on be on everybody's shelves as well. And you were just talking about rewilding, and I'm that's something that I'm really, really quite interesting about. Interested about. I interviewed um, Sam Peters and Oliver Heath. There's an event taking place at Stourhead um, at the first bank holiday in, in May in the UK. It's, it's, they're partnered with the National Trust and it's called 
transplanted country. And they're talking about just that, about how it's, it, the theme is actually save our soils. And, um, and it's about rewilding. It's about how we bring in farming, how we improve our farming you know, practices um, as well. So, so if anybody's in the UK um, or, or can get over to the UK, um, I'd recommend them to go to that because I'm hoping to go as well and do some filming there. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. They did plant cities as well. So um, and it's, it's just it's just on what you just mentioned, that this is basically the theme of the book. So, um, yeah, really, really good. Um, I, I mean, I just live, like me, like you, there's many, many um, books that I, I could talk about. Um, the, probably the last one that I'll just very briefly mention then is the biomimicry in architecture, which is a bit kind of a left field, a bit of an odd one, really. It's not particularly about nature itself, but it's about how nature um, inspires solutions. So how we use nature's patterns. Um, uh, I suppose really it's, it's, it's what biomimicry sort of does what it says on the tin. It, it's the study of copying nature. Um, it parallels biophilic design principles in that biomimicry prompts analysis of what nature is good at um, and also to apply those fi findings to find solutions. I mean, it can be applied in healthcare, aviation, car design, lighting, furniture design. Um, I mentioned earlier in the um, in Kellett's book about those supports that look like trees um, in Delhi Airport. And, you know, you see those Norman Foster things that look like trees supporting the roof, the roof rafters, and they look like trees. Obviously, they're they're white, but they give that feeling of like, you know, sort of shooting up. And um, there's other things, you know, how how, you know, how um, nature provides solutions for um inks and, and all sorts of things and, and structures of wings and um you know strengthening uh like, like we use like sort of um mesh things they use they're using the mesh in wings to kind of like how you you know how come a, a wing is can be so light but can take you know take a bird to flight or and then they look at that and oh they're hollow and so that's how it's kind of so it's biomimicry that's kind of it's basically applying that so but it's really, really interesting. So that's kind of, um, it's going to start driving everybody down all kind of, you know, rabbit warrens um, to find out more. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, I suggest that it's, it's quite an interesting one to, to kind of look at. And that's got pictures in, actually. It's quite a lot of pictures <laughs> and design. So if people are like, into, like interested in engineering, um, it's talking about jellyfish as well, you know, a colony of sandcastle worms. Um, you know, I mean, I just, um, so it was assembled with the bio biological equivalent of a two-part epoxy adhesive. So it's that kind of thing. So how does that work? So people are looking at biomimicry. They go, oh, hang on a minute. This is happening in nature. Let's have a look at that. How can we find a natural alternative as well? Not necessarily using epoxy resin or whatever, but, you know, well, what do they use? Um, anyway, it's that kind of stuff. I think I, I find it really fascinating. So, yeah, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop rabbiting because, yeah, <laughs> I could go through my whole shelf like you could. <laughs> yeah, this is this is fascinating. Yeah, that's just I, I got a whole pile of books laying next to me and I could go on for hours. So maybe we should do this again at a certain moment and just pick some other yeah. books and then we we can maybe prepare it a little bit and, and, and get suggestions from uh, from the readers as well. Um, I would like to thank uh, Sharon and Evelyn uh, for listening and all the other live listeners. It's always nice to have live, live listeners. I know that uh, uh, many more people uh, listen afterwards. Uh, that is in the hundreds and live there are not so many, but it really helps to have a live audience because we, well, we just uh, love to have that. And since we hope to see you all back next week, uh, word of warning, we're not on the Monday because Monday is a bank holiday in the UK where Nest lives. So we moved it the same time, uh, 11 o'clock Easter time, but to the Wednesday, which is the 4th of May, uh, which is uh, for the Netherlands always the day that we commemorate uh, the death of the Second World War and all other wars wars uh, that followed it's the day before our liberation day on uh, on on the 5th of may um so uh we uh will try not to take too much uh, sad subjects because it's already a sad day anyway um having said that uh don't uh don't miss uh, all the other productions um uh, subscribe to uh, the journal of uh, biophilic uh, design uh, by uh, vanessa champion and um, try to follow my latest writing if you have time for that uh, which was yesterday about um, a good day for democracy because both in France as well as in Slovenia the 
center-left democratic forces have been able to beat those that uh, prefer uh, a more authoritarian way of ruling the country by all kinds of populist or right-wing or whatever you want to call it um, approaches. And I think it's a good day for the planet that in uh, two countries we made a step back towards uh, the political middle ground. Uh, it might be an indication that uh, the people have had it uh, with all these populist tendencies because they haven't brought anything good uh, yet for us, not in the Western world, not in any other country either. So uh, that was my article of yesterday. Uh, there was also last night's podcast was about the same thing. Actually, it was after I had done this podcast. I thought, well, basically everything I said, I might as well type it out. So that's what I did last night. So with those words, uh, we hit the full hour and we promised to stop at the full hour. So I hope to see you all back. The very first time that we're on uh, will be next Thursday. Um, the normal day and time, Thursday, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, with Alistair Doyle. We don't know yet what the subject will be, but it will be um, about environmentally related uh, subjects or all kinds of other interesting things that we come across and that we would like to share with you. So we hope that you will be there as well. And something else might pop up in that case. Just stay tuned. Thanks so much, guys, and hope to... See you all back uh, on uh, Thursday and next week on Wednesday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.